Good evening. It's good to see all of you tonight. Our study is going to be in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the kingdom of God. Max, thank you for leading singing tonight. We've got a lot of young folks to be proud of. Max has spent all summer at Mount Juliet uh, Church of Christ doing a great work with the internship there. Jacob is back as well from Lebanon Road. Uh, Again, we just have a lot of young men uh, that are doing great things, a lot of young women that are doing it as well. I know as I look at our youth group, I see individuals that will be doing that in the future. Uh, continuing to see how they can help with the church and just just proud of proud of them in every way Matthew chapter 13 it's going to be a it's going to be a chapter that is full of a number of parables there's a change we saw in this morning in Matthew chapter 12 that you see the opposition to Jesus and we saw sort of them described well what would you do if you knew that you were speaking to a crowd and a big portion of that crowd did not like you. A big portion of that crowd did not agree with you. A big portion of that crowd was even using a man with a withered arm trying to catch you so they could find some way to accuse you. They were against you in every way. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus changed his teaching style. Now we've looked in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. What does he do? He is just teaching you exactly what you need to do. He's coming in and telling people exactly what needs to take place. But at this point in his ministry, he has these large crowds that are coming to him. And instead of telling them directly what he wants them to know, he is uh, talking to them in parables. He's telling them earthly stories. And as he tells these stories, he's not going to really explain much until people will come along at a different point where he will sort of explain what's going on. And Matthew chapter 13 is full of these parables. And what he's trying to do is tell people about the kingdom. Now, the gospel of Matthew, we talked about, written by a Jew, about a Jew, for the Jews. What were the Jews looking for? They were looking for a kingdom. So they're looking for a Messiah to come and to set up and they're, they're confused. They don't fully understand that, but they know that someone is going to come from heaven and they're, they're looking for a kingdom and they're looking for this earthly kingdom. And Matthew is going to say, look, I'm going to tell you about the kingdom of God. In this gospel, 53 times, he's going to say the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He's going to be talking about this kingdom and he's going to be, most of those times is where Jesus is discussing the kingdom that he came uh, to establish. Now, I hope that you're walking through Matthew. Again, if you did four chapters a day, you can read Matthew this week. Okay, so continue to look through that. We're going to be going for another about nine weeks covering through these. So I hope that you are reading along and you can sort of think about what we would discuss in each one of these chapters. But if you've been walking through it, you see in John chapter 3 that John the Baptist shows up. And what does John the Baptist say according to Matthew? He comes preaching saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You get to chapter 4 and you see Jesus and Jesus' message. What does he go and tell everybody? Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As you walk through each one of these, Matthew chapter 5, this summer we saw, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Why? That's what they did to the prophets that were before you. Rejoice because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we just sang the words, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't worry about life. All these other things will be added to you. Just seek the kingdom first. That's Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, 21, what's he going to say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. 
What's Jesus wanting the people there to understand? That he came to build his kingdom. And as you walk through this book, you see this time and again. Chapter 11, you see, says, hey, John the Baptist, of those born of women, none are greater than John the Baptist. But I tell you, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. If you can get into this kingdom, then God is going to elevate you because of the importance of what's going on. So in Matthew chapter 13, we come, and what are we going to see? Parables. Uh, parables about the kingdom of God. You see that he's going to do this in verse 11. We looked at that. He's going to speak in parables. Why does he do it? To conceal it from people who don't really care. It's an interesting description. Verses 14 and 15 there in Matthew chapter 13, you see that he's going to do this to fulfill a prophecy that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Over 700 years before, Isaiah said, you know what kind of people that the Messiah is going to run into? Individuals who have hearts that have grown dull. If you're listening to Jesus and your heart's not really into it, then this isn't going to make any sense to you. What else does he say? They have ears, but they can barely hear. Jesus will end a number of these parables saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's not about whether or not you can hear a sound. It's whether or not you're paying attention to the words. He said he's going to run into people who have eyes, but they are closed. Because of that, if you look down in verse 34, what does it say about Jesus' teaching at this point? All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. So what Jesus is going to do is he's going to tell the story and then people can hear the story. And if those that were looking for something deeper or looking for the meaning for the kingdom, they would find something that they could remember that could sink into their mind and really help them to understand and connect to the kingdom better. But the ones in the crowd that didn't care about Jesus, they're going to be, what was that about? And they're going to move on. Now in this chapter, we see nine different parables. We're just going to look at five of them uh, tonight. Uh, there are a lot of different stories that Jesus is going to talk about. He's going to talk about work because that's what those people were involved in doing. He's going to talk about agriculture. He's going to talk about finances. He's going to talk about fishing. He's going to walk through the things that people in his day are totally used to, and he's just going to tell ordinary stories about everyday experiences, and he's going to help those observations to connect people to this greater value of the kingdom. Now, a lot of those people are going to hear them, and as he hears them, they're going to hear that, and they're going to walk off. But for those who stay around, he says, I want you to understand my kingdom a little bit better. Now, we know the end of the story. We know that he's going to tell Pilate, look, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. I've come to establish an eternal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that is living in the hearts of the people that I'm talking to tonight. We're a part of that kingdom. Greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because Jesus' blood has covered us. We have been given his spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. We are a part of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. So as we look at the parables tonight, I hope that we'll uh, take great comfort in that as well. Verse 24 is where we'll pick up. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. 
So the servant said to him, then do, uh, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Imagine you're in that crowd. And all you really want to do is accuse Jesus. And he tells a guy about a plant in a field and his enemies sold a bunch of weeds in it and at the end they gather it up and throw it in the barn and you just go, okay, what's that have to do? It means nothing. If you don't have ears that are listening, if you don't have eyes that are seeing, if you're not really caring what this guy's talking about, you're just trying to catch him in a fault, then you just sort of walk away wondering exactly uh, what Jesus meant and what he was talking about. But whenever they leave, go on down to verse 36 and you see Jesus, well, they'll take this and say, I want you to understand some things about this world. Have you, ever, have you ever wondered why there's so much brokenness in this world? Have you ever been curious and thought, why didn't God just come and just take these people out? Why doesn't he just solve this problem now? Why does sin grow the way that it does? Why does suffering happen the way that it does? What's the end game of all of these things? Why couldn't God just come in and take all of these out? Why doesn't his kingdom just overwhelm every person? And Jesus says, look, I want you to know something about the kingdom and about God and about an enemy and about his word and about judgment that will come in, in due time. Remember the story. Well, then he left the crowds, verse 36, and he went into the house and all of his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does he say? These are individuals that are going to lose their life to many of these weeds. These are individuals that are going to face persecution and it's going to be life or death. And they're going to be saying, why did they just kill James? Why did these things happen? Why doesn't God come down and wipe out all these things? And Jesus wants them to remember the story. You're in the Father's field. He is coming. At some day you're going to shine like the sun with the Father. Be faithful to death. Be faithful to him because judgment is coming. Don't give up. Don't turn away from the kingdom because if you turn away from the kingdom, there's one thing that is coming that everybody has to understand. There's going to be weeds and there's going to be weeds. And if you make a cho choice to depart from God, the judgment is coming. You're going to be gathered up. Just like that weeds are thrown into the fire, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. God is waiting. Judgment is coming. But he wants you to be with him in his barns. Remember, as part of the kingdom, be faithful because he's coming back to make all things right at the end. He wants them to know more about the kingdom. Verse 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
We don't think about it a whole lot, but Palestine in Jesus' day, its history is just scattered with turmoil, with upheaval, with conquest and people that came and went. If you go all the way back to when the Assyrians ran through with Sennacherib, they conquered over 20 different cities coming through and they're gonna come to the village and they're gonna conquer them. Whenever the Babylonians were gonna come, what do they do? They come through, destroy Jerusalem, they conquer all of these people. At a time whenever there's not a bank, there's nowhere to wire your money, there's nowhere to take your expensive things, what would you do with your valuables? You'd bury them, right? Think about what that would be like. You have thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming. And whenever you see those individuals on the way, what are you thinking? Well, I'm going to go hide it. Well, over years and years of that happening, you could imagine that there was going to be a lot of buried treasure that was out there. Now, I don't know about you, but buried treasure, ever since I watched Goonies, okay, that's going way back for some of you guys, but ever since watching Goonies, I needed to find some buried treasure, national treasure. Some of you guys might be on there as well. The idea of finding something of great value and following the keys and finding that is something that draws us all in because we love the idea of finding something of great value. Uh, recently in the news, uh, there was a story about a, a boat that was found, and I thought there were some pretty interesting things on this when it comes to what is a value. It was the SS Central America. Uh, it hit a, was hit in a hurricane September 11th, 1857. Steamboat. The steam goes out. The sails are out. They're getting water. They start bailing water out of it. There's no hope. On the 12th of September, it sinks over a mile into the Atlantic Ocean. The most expensive economic maritime disaster uh, of, in, in history. It had left California. Levi Strauss had that boat. It was loaded down with over 30,000 pounds of gold. Not only that, it had about 450 people. I think around 300 of them passed away. It was a huge loss of life, but also all of this money and all of this gold sank 7,000 feet down. 1988, a guy finds it. They go down with the retrieval device and they see this gold and they start pulling things up. In 1988, 1989, they come in and they say, look how much money is down there. Probably 765 million was one number I saw just on the gold, but also it's gone down in the depth of the ocean and the temperature and what's there. They pulled up pictures from the bottom of this boat. All kinds of things, you can chase it. But I want to just give you a, you can chase it on the internet if you want to, but give you a couple things about what they found. They found the lid of a Wells and Fargo treasure box, believed to be the oldest of its kind. They sold it for 99,600. That's a pretty expensive box. Okay, what else? 1849 Colt pocket pistol. Found it, 30 grand. It could be yours. Okay, a $20 gold coin that was minted in San Francisco in 1856, later stamped with the Sacramento drugstore sold it $43,200. Uh, a, a gold ingot, gold block, weighing 80 pounds, they pulled up, sold for $8 million. The interesting one was last December. Uh, last December, they found a pair of jeans. Okay, and it's kind of neat. Again, you can chase this rabbit hole, but you see them opening different things in their open chests, and there's a pair of jeans, and everybody's like, those are the first Levi Strauss. 
Of course, this is a few years before, but they look, it's a minor set of jeans sold for auction last December, $114,000 for a pair of soggy britches. What's the idea? Just a lot of history, a lot of value, and you think, man, if you could find that, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, could you imagine the guy, the guy's name that came in was Tommy Thompson, He's the one that was discovering it in 1988. He found that, all of that money, a ton of investors gave him millions of dollars to go down there and to retrieve those things. They had to go, you know, again, they went back in 2014 with new technology to do it all. Isn't that awesome to find that treasure? No. You know where Tommy Thompson's been for the last five years? In jail. Why? All of these investors that put money in it didn't get a lot of their money back. It wasn't a great investment. All the insurance companies that had insured the things on that boat in 1857 said, we paid out on that, that's ours. And you go to court. And who does that treasure belong to? If you're wondering and curious, I think 8% of that belongs to the insurance companies. Lawyers, lawsuits everywhere. The people that had financed him are suing him and saying, he has money, he's got money, he's hiding it somewhere else. Hey, where are these 500 coins you have? I don't know. Okay, well, you're going to jail. He is keeping his mouth shut and has been in jail for over five years because he won't say where the treasure is. Do you want a treasure that sticks you in jail? You want a treasure where you don't get a return on your money? We read all this and we get excited about that idea of treasure, but what happens? This is temporary things, simple wealth that no one is going to take with him. Jesus says, look, we're, so many times people are chasing a treasure, but he wants us to understand something. Treasures of this world, as we see in his teaching time and again, go away. But he says, let me tell you about a real treasure. It's like a treasure that a man finds and it's in a field and he goes and he sells everything he has. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is so, so very valuable. You sold everything you had to get in, it is worth the price of admission. If you gave up every goal, every physical thing, if you gave up everything you had, it's worth it to be in the kingdom of heaven. It's valuable, but it's not worldly. It doesn't come with regrets. You're not going to have buyer's remorse when it comes to the kingdom. It is worth it every time, and he tells this short story. And then Jesus is going to follow up on that. He says, I'm not just telling you that it's worth everything. I'm going to show you what it's worth. And he gave everything. Why? Because his kingdom was worth dying for. He loved us. He loved what we could do. He loved what we could become. And he gave his all for us. It's worth us as well, giving up everything we have. And that's what you see in the next parable. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, if you're in the crowd and you don't care, what's this guy talking about? Treasures and pearls, what's happening? Here's a merchant and this guy collects pearls. Do you have a collection? Do you have anything that you are collecting? Well, usually whenever you have a collection, you have that because you enjoy it. Maybe it's sports, trading cards, baseball cards, football cards, you could have that. Some people, we're not going to mention names, like maybe collecting shoes. Uh, maybe people would have uh, some guns. They might have a nice gun collection, some rocks. We've got rocks. We've got all kinds of different collections that we could enjoy. 
Do you have a collection that you could, if you could just get one of the items that you have, you would give up your entire collection for that one? I would love to make a trade of all the shoes in our house for one pair of shoes, but that's not going to happen. Get personal. Okay, would you give up every gun you had if I could give you your one gun that you want? I don't know about that. What about all your jewelry? Man, I could get you the Hope Diamond. Have you seen it in D.C.? Unbelievable. But do you want to give up all other jewelry in your life to have that one big rock that you don't want to wear anywhere? When it comes to collections, a merchant, what does he do? He gathers all this stuff up and he says, look at all these things. And every one of them are valuable. Each one of them are important. All these things are something that he would want to have. But Jesus says, no, that guy has all of it. And he says, Okay, forget every other pearl I have. I just want one pearl. What kind of pearl would you do that for? See, we like to collect things, and we like to see the value and have them. Jesus says this is a different thing. When it comes to the kingdom, it's not just valuable. It's worth sacrificing for. It's worth giving up everything, every other part of your collection. Let it all go to have the kingdom. And he wants us to remember that. Again, it's valuable, but it's worth sacrificing for. What did he say in Mark chapter 8, verse 36? Jesus says, what does it profit for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul? And he's kind of pointing out the opposite idea of that kingdom. It's like, look, whatever you need to give up, whatever change you need to make, whatever chase you need to quit pursuing, whatever thing that you put value on that you thought was really important, let it all go because I have something for you that is worth giving up everything that you have in this world. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and they sat down and sorted the good on the containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a story that would go well with a bunch of fishermen on the side of the Sea of Galilee. They see it every day. You go out and you fish, but some fish are worth keeping. Some fish people want to eat, and some are just going to be trash fish that you're going to throw away. And he says the kingdom of heaven is going to be like that. We remember what he said in chapter 12 from this morning. You're going to be on a side. You're either with me and you're gathering, or you're against me and you're scattering. Which side are you going to be on? The kingdom of heaven is going to be a kingdom that's going to be chosen going to be chosen from individuals that have prepared themselves to be a part of it and what does he want us to know God's kingdom is exclusive everybody's not getting in in fact as we look in Matthew chapter 7 what does he say many are on the wide road that leads to destruction it's going to be a crowded road going away from the kingdom but it's going to be a narrow road few are going to find it but it's going to be worth it all if we will stay faithful to the end. So once again, the question that Matthew keeps bringing up and keeps showing us that Jesus is saying is that Jesus is asking us to choose and to make sure that we have made a decision as to what side are we on. Time and again, you see Matthew talking about Jesus saying, look, there's judgment. 
We saw it this morning. We see it again in chapter 13. Jesus says there's judgment. Why? Because he doesn't want anybody to be on the wrong end of judgment. He came to give everything so we can be on the right side of judgment. He's willing to forgive. He's offering grace. He's offering mercy. And I think of Matthew, this tax collector, who thought, I'm not worthy to do that. You know what I've done? Everybody in town says, what's he doing hanging out with Matthew, these sinners, and tax collectors? But Matthew knows something about the judgment of God. The judgment of God is one that offers forgiveness to anyone who will leave everything and follow him. Why? Because you have to make a choice. Are you going to be wheat or are you going to be weeds? It is so very valuable, but have you claimed it? Are you willing to sacrifice for it? If you do, you will have no regrets. The answers to those questions are life-changing now and in eternity. Why? Because he says this is how he's going to decide who's going to be with him through all time. We have an awesome king with a wonderful kingdom. Let's all be thankful that we're a part of it. Are you a part of it tonight? If you're not yet a part of the kingdom, Jesus invites you to come regardless of past. He wants you to come and say, I need you. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to give up. I want what is most valuable. What does he ask of you? He asks for you to change. Confess him before men. Turn your life around. Turn away from sin. Be buried with him and say, look, you are on my side looking forward to an eternity where we shine like the sun. Are you ready to do that tonight? If you are, we want to help you with it. If you're on the wrong side of the kingdom, we want to pray with you. We want to do all we can to be a blessing to you. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand, as we sing.